Amen. Pastor David, it's interesting that you um, had that image of the um, healing balm, gentle, tender. I think you said you used the words, and as you were praying in the Spirit, I just had the sense of um, his gentle, tender mercies are new every morning. So um, we thank and praise the Lord for his tender mercies and the way that he's working in our hearts even right now. And um, I pray that he continues this work of his tender mercies and um, speaks to us through his word. So you can turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 14 is what we'll be looking at today. And we're going to be looking at praying for our city. And so as we um, press in and continue to pray for revival, and we're praying for five people that um, we are, the Lord's put on our hearts that we would pray for that aren't saved yet. And so during this season, um, we also want to ask, how do we pray for the city? We live here, and we raise families here, and we're trying to... um, grow a church and make disciples of Jesus in this place with so much ungodliness going on all around us. And so just to mention a few things um, about our town, our city, I've heard some of you that are parents um, taking your children to the library and having to pre-read quickly what um, the book says before you can allow your child to check out the book because there's just so much um, evil, even in children's books these days. You go to your well-child check um, at the doctor, and they ask you how much screen time are your children having. And um, when we think about the vast amount of um, ideologies and philosophies and anti-Christian things that are on the Internet and that our children from a very young age are being exposed potentially to. Um, you turn on the news, and um, we are just kind of pummeled with um, acts of violence that we see broadcast, as well as so many threats on any given day that it could just make your head spin if you're an adult, let alone think about children and youth as they um, turn on the news if you allow the news to be on at your household. Well, so maybe you think about, well, what can we do for amusement? Maybe we'll do look at, you know, what's happening in the city. Maybe we'll find something to do. Um, and this city that was known as the city of churches, now better known nationally as the city of beer, uh, beer city, Um, We can find these kind of activities. Recently, it was brought to my attention that there was an event um, featuring drag queens dancing as a family um, entertainment activity. I looked online, and um, for Valentine's, celebrating Valentine's in our good city, um, there are drag brunches and drag shows at pubs this month to think about Valentine's Day. Um, Also, I found a two-day psychic and holistic expo offering tarot card readings, energy healers, medium readings, and crystals and classes. And guess what? Children 12 and under are free. Um, And this is happening on the northwest side here in Grand Rapids in Comstock Park. Help, right? 
help. Lord, help us. And thankfully, the Lord does. And we're going to look at what he says here and his help and guidance as we read Jeremiah 29. So Jeremiah 29, starting with verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to give you a little background on Babylon. Um, The people of Judah, because of repeated disobedience to God, they were sent by God into exile there. The background on Babylon, Babylon comes from the Akkadian word that means gate of God. In Hebrew, the word means confusion. Babylon is the second most frequently mentioned city in the scriptures, coming just behind Jerusalem, which is God's city. Babylon is often referenced as the devil's city with a counterfeit religious system. It was a wicked city where children were taught magic spells and sorcery from the time of childhood. The location of ancient city Babylon is now modern-day Iraq. The culture of Babylon was one of the wealthiest and most powerful cities in the ancient world. The motto of Babylon was this, I am and there is no one else. I am and there is no one else. You can find that in Isaiah 47, 8 to 10. It was a society that was given over to itself. There was idolatry of self and the worship of many other gods as well. In Revelation, the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, there's a reference to Babylon, which is going to be the political, economic, and commercial headquarters of the beast. 
and it will have a false religious system, Revelation 17 and 18. So there is a historical Babylon that we're talking about today, and there's a prophesied devil city foretold. And so now let's go back and think about the text for today. What was the purpose of God sending them to Babylon? Well, it was a discipline action intended to teach the people of Judah, which are God's people from the southern kingdom, to live ordered lives completely and wholeheartedly dependent to God. They were to embody and be embodied witnesses to a spiritually lost Babylon who thought that they could find civil order, peace, and prosperity apart from God. And finally, I believe the purpose that God allowed his people to go into exile is actually, it's a picture of Judah functioning as royal priest, praying for the city, and being trained to think beyond themselves and pray for those who don't yet know God. All right, so I've given you some background on Babylon. I've read you the text, and I've just got three main points that I want to try to get across to you. The first point is this, that we are to live God-ordered lives in the city where God places us. In verses 5 to 6, it says, Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. All right. So they're to live embodied lives orderly according to God's instructions. Tend to your physical needs. They are supposed to commit and settle down and not view this as temporary. And so they have a need for shelter and says, build. He doesn't say couch surf. He doesn't say rent a room month to month. He says, build on the land. Even if this isn't where you want to be long term, if God has you here, then settle down and get established. Okay, there's a need for shelter. There's a need for food. And he says, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Again, we see a work ethic here. Um, You know that they have needs, and they need to put labor into producing food, which means planting seeds, which take time, right? And if they're going to plant fruit trees, it's going to take years. Gardens take time to grow, and um, they're supposed to be investing where the Lord has them right then for food and shelter needs. They also need to tend to their relationships and commit to long-term fruitful relationships. And so we hear the value of family and parents and siblings being upheld in this scripture. We also hear the importance of committed marriage um, between, you'll notice, one man, the daughters and the sons, right? One man, one woman, recognizing that as they, their parents give these children in marriage, that they're actually also, it's another indication of settling down because their daughter goes to the husband's, you know, the father of the husband and joins into their household. And so if you're eager to leave an area, you probably don't want to leave your kids there or you don't know who might be able to go back. And so, again, it's trusting the Lord 
um, and committing in relationships. And we hear God's desire for his people to be fruitful and multiply in this wicked city. Have sons and daughters. Don't be afraid to bring children into the world. Recall when God's people were in Egypt, it was their multiplication that got the leader's attention, that they were thriving in this space. God values children and the instruction of the children. Sons and daughters is mentioned three times in verse 6. I mean, you read verse 6 and it's like sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters. Well, the family unit was um, really the way that the Lord intended to, um, the children were to be raised in the fear of the Lord, and it would prepare them to live in the land that God was going to give them. And if you go back to Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 21, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them, bind them, not buy them, bind them on your foreheads, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give his ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. God gave this instruction And the parents were to teach their children. And it was prepare them to live in the land that God was going to give them. And so they had failed to do that when they were actually in the promised land. They got distracted and started to live for themselves and not live in relationship with God. And so now in Babylon, he's saying get back to the basics. Really get back to the basics. And that's why I just um, wanted to mention how thankful we are that we have the family discipleship group that um, Derek and Heather are leading. It's a form of a base camp here. Some of you may know about it. Some of you don't. But um, families with young children, many of you are participating in what you're doing on a monthly basis when you gather to think about how do we implement spiritual disciplines in our household throughout the month. You're doing just what God had intended. It's an orderly, embodied life where you're thinking, I mean, even put it on the doorpost of your house. Like he said, build a house. Why are you building a house? Because you're supposed to put the scriptures on this house, and you're supposed to teach those that are in this house. And so they're learning to live an existence ordered by God's directions. And as they do, God is going to cause them to grow and flourish as a sign to those that are in Babylon. We often look at this story and think, what was what was it about for those that were in exile? But God also cares about the rest of the world, and he has his reasons. In the Old Testament, he had his reasons for why there would be this like show of his people as a sign of the reality of Yahweh, God, um, to the rest of the world. It's when God's people are living ordered lives of peace and contentment, wherever they find themselves, it's a testimony to the presence and power of a living God. And so questions we might ask ourselves, is my life ordered or is it disordered? Is it chaotic? 
And is my life noticeably marked by the presence and power of God? Things you might consider. All right, I want to go on to my second point that I want to make from the scripture is that God uses life in an ungodly city to help his people learn to live an intimate, dependent relationship with him. All right? They were in the promised land. They weren't living in that dependent relationship with him. He desires to have them live in that dependent and like intimate relationship with him. And he will send them to exile in order to help them learn. And so God desires to prosper his people. Verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But there is a condition. Verses 12 and 13, when we call and pray, then God will listen. When we seek him wholeheartedly, then God will be found. And so... This relationship, he longs for it. He longs to prosper his people, but we have to long for him. We're supposed to be in a marriage covenant commitment with our God. And so when we seek him wholeheartedly, then God will be found. God's people were temporarily removed from the land because they weren't living as loved, obeying, dependent people on the Lord. And so they were sent to Babylon to learn to live in relationship that was always intended to be. And so they were surviving in the grim and threatening world of exile, surrounded by wickedness, so that they see their dire circumstances and they recognize their need for God. And so then they start to seek and pursue him instead of the former distractions that seemed so important back in their old lives. And they're praying. What is prayer? It's conversation. Isn't that what married people are supposed to do? Right? And we're married to God, and so we're supposed to have this conversation ongoingly and this wholehearted devotion. Instead of idolizing themselves and having faith only in themselves, it's turning as they're in exile. They're recognizing their dependency on God. Is this clear? Are you tracking with me? All right. So a question we might ask ourselves is, are we seeking God through prayer and his word with wholehearted devotion? Do we have a vibrant, dependent relationship on God? All right. Third point. God's people are to pray for the city. Verse 7 says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. All right, seek the peace and prosperity and pray for it. Actually, that peace and prosperity is just one Hebrew word. It's shalom, which you already referenced this morning as you greeted. The Lord greeted us through you, Pastor Dave. And that um, definition of nothing broken Nothing missing, um, a deep abiding peace. The shalom or peace can have these nuances, um, completeness, safety and soundness in body, um, welfare, health and prosperity. It, shalom can mean peace, tranquility, contentment. Peace has the um, nuance of friendship so that human relationships are in accord and in peace. 
and also relationship with God, especially covenant relationship. There's peace between ourselves and God. And then even peace from war, shalom. Pray for the shalom. Literally, it says, pray for peace for your city, for as the people in the city have peace, you too will have peace. Now, this was mind-blowing for those of God's people in the Old Testament to be told to pray for shalom, peace, for the wicked people of the city and for these systems that were so wicked. And so it, it would be like blow their minds, pray for our enemies. Wow. But this is really wonderful news when we recognize that as we pray for things that are people that are being influenced by evil and systems that are evil, when we pray for peace in our city, it actually comes back and blesses us that as they experience the peace of God under his rule and reign, then we will experience peace. And so this passage of scripture is an Old Testament passage. And so it was a particular people taken to a particular country of Babylon for a period of exile with a promise that they would come back after a long time, 70 years, they would come back. How do we apply it? How do we interpret it for today? Um, and so I think the question comes down, do we see these themes of living an ordered life as a witness in the New Testament? Do we see this theme of having a wholehearted relationship with God? Does it still apply? And so I look at these scriptures, and I think it does. First Peter 2, 11 and 12 refers to New Testament Christians as exiles, and it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And then Matthew 22, 36 to 39, where Jesus is asked about the greatest command, and Jesus responds, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, and we can say love your city as yourself. And then he goes on in Matthew 5, 44, he says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So what he started to hint at and give them instructions in the Old Testament through the prophet Jeremiah, he makes it really clear now. We're praying, and we're praying not only for the peace, like just a, like, peaceful environment, but actually we're praying for the peace that people would have a covenant relationship with God, that they would come to know the living God. And so as we live our ordered lives, um, as God has instructed us, I really feel like that um, tending to our physical and relationship needs and making the discipleship of children and youth and new believers a priority in order to be fruitful and grow, I think we can draw this from this Jeremiah passage. I also think that there's a call, and some of us may hear this call, to recommit ourselves to wholehearted devotion, dependency on God, that in fact that will prosper, and he'll give us a hope and a future as we turn to him wholeheartedly and seek him. 
and then praying for the shalom of our city. And as I thought about this message and I thought about, Lord, how would you have us apply this? One thing just overwhelmingly impacted me, and it was thinking about children, youth, and young adults. And I thought about the history of this church. And you may not know this, but this church has a strong history of having Sunday school classes for all the children that used to live in this neighborhood. And so even as recently as when I came, every possible little area had petitions to make downstairs and upstairs like little uh, honeycomb cells of learning labs (laughs) of Sunday school classes. And so um, Mary Swearinga says that her mother came to help teach Sunday school here at one time. Some of you know Kelly Tannis, and she said she came to help with the youth years ago. Churches from Hudsonville and all different areas were sending workers here to Gold Avenue to help with the discipleship of children in our city. And so it's interesting to think about our history as a church. What did God mark us with initially? Because this was started as a mission to this neighborhood. Now, when you look at our demographics, they've changed over the years. And um, statistics show, I looked up a study, this may not be the most recent stats, but um, currently in this neighborhood, 70% of households have no kids, but 30% of the households still do have children. The largest population um, by age is the 20 to 24-year-old group the group that Cody and Marissa work with, um, college students and other single um, people. And then the second um, greatest population was in ages 1 to 5. And then the sharpest rising population were the teens. And only 38% of households had a husband and a wife. Most households were single or single guardians. And so why am I sharing these statistics? And there's other statistics about economic factors, educational factors within our neighborhood, and I think it's something the Lord would have us pay attention to. But what I want to say is we're talking about a culture that in some ways resembles Babylon. This self-centered, I am and there is no other, the culture of the world This is a generation where we've invented the term selfie and we've all become proficient at taking pictures of ourselves. All right? Yes? It's true. Um, Also, we've coined the phrase, my truth. My truth. I, my truth, instead of absolute truth. We've also um, wanted to say and deny in our culture that God gives sons and daughters and wants to say, why doesn't everybody determine what they'd like to be identified as? Do you see the mark of confusion? And when we think about the culture that our children, our, the families, the parents that are raising young children in this church, when we think about the youth, And the culture that you're being raised in, when we think about the singles 
and young adults in this church, what are we up against? And what in the world are the people that are most vulnerable in this neighborhood? They have great potential, but they're also very vulnerable when you're in that zero to five-year-age bracket, particularly if home isn't ordered. And then what about when you come out from under home and you all of a sudden you're on your own in that 18 to 25-year-old bracket or a little bit more? Um, vulnerable spots. And yet the Lord says, pray for the peace. Pray for the shalom. Pray that your lives would be ordered as a light, as a beacon of light, as a witness. And I feel like that's where the Lord would have us land today, is to spend some time praying, praying for the children, praying for the youth, praying for the young adults, both within our church. Because as we heard a testimony of one of our own youth being marked by the presence and power of God. Think about the testimony to their, their friends and those that are in the neighborhood. And think about how the Lord would want to use us as a beacon, as a, a city, a light on a hill. Can we turn and um, pray? And Pastor Dave, if you've got any guidance, come you can come help me.